O Lord, our Maker, Redeemer, and Comforter, we are assembled in your presence to hear your holy word. We pray you to open our hearts by your Holy Spirit, that through the preaching of your word, we may be taught to repent of our sins, to believe on Jesus in life and death, and to grow day by day in grace and holiness. Hear us for Christ's sake. Amen. The Old Testament lesson is recorded in the book of the prophet Jeremiah, the 16th chapter, beginning at the 14th verse. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be said, The Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, but the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north and from all the lands where he had driven them. For I will bring them back into their land, which I gave to their fathers. Behold, I will send for many fishermen, says the Lord, and they shall fish them. And afterward, I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and every hill and out of the holes of the rocks. For my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from my face, nor is their iniquity hidden from my eyes. And first I will repay double for their iniquity and their sin, because they have defiled my land. They have filled my inheritance with the carcasses of their detestable and abominable idols. O Lord, my strength and my fortress, my refuge in the day of affliction, the Gentiles shall come to you from the ends of the earth and say, Surely our fathers have inherited lies, worthlessness, and unprofitable things. Will a man make gods for himself which are not gods? Therefore, behold, I will this once cause them to know. I will cause them to know my hand and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord. Here ends the Old Testament lesson. The epistle is recorded in the first letter of Peter, the third chapter, beginning at verse 8. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Here ends the epistle lesson. The Holy Gospel is recorded in the Gospel according to St. Luke, the fifth chapter beginning of the first verse. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. 
but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.
Let us bow our heads in prayer. Lord of all, govern the nations of the world so that your church may joyfully serve you in confidence and peace. We pray, graciously let us continue to live in your fear according to your will. Direct our leaders that they might not hinder the obedience due to you, but maintain righteousness, that we may enjoy happiness and blessing under their government. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Our sermon text is recorded in Romans chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. For if you do, But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due. Taxes, to whom taxes are due. Customs, to whom customs. Fear, to whom fear. Honor, to whom honor. Dear fellow redeemed, Our text is plain and straightforward. As we consider it, let's also consider a time more than two centuries ago. A new document sat awaiting some of the most prominent men in North America. The craftsmanship of jo Thomas Jefferson had largely withstood the numerous suggestions and complaints of the Continental Congress. All it needed was John Hancock's John Hancock in the signatures of the other delegates. Imagine yourself in line, ready to grasp the quill pen and make your mark. What thoughts are going through your mind? Do you think of the fighting that started more than a year ago? Do you worry about pledging your life and your possessions plus your sacred honor to the cause of independence from England? Are you excited? Afraid? Uncertain? Hold those thoughts. The line is long. People are moving slowly, and you have time to wait. While waiting, return, if you will, to today's text. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. This sounds simple enough. You're a person. I'm a person. Next, governing authorities. Even if you live outside city limits, you don't live outside the rule of any number of these authorities. Here in the United States, we have mayors and city councils, township officials, county administrators, governors and state legislatures, a president and a congress. Add to this the judiciary from 
city judges to the chief justice of the Supreme Court. We haven't even gone to the various appointed bureaucrats, nor the assorted law enforcement officers, border patrol, FBI agents, and all those in between. Through Paul, the Holy Spirit reminds us that the offices these men and women hold have been instituted by God. Because God does not govern the world face to face, and since that would destroy all of us sinful people, he established what we would call his left-hand rule, his kingdom of the left. He waves his wrathful sword in the face of those who consider criminal activities, often scaring them into compliance, even if they don't agree or wish to cooperate. Others, more bold or more foolish, challenge this rule. They rob, they assault, they threaten and intimidate, they destroy property, sometimes they even kill. For them, God's sword is more than a threat. He authorizes, gives authority to ordinary people to take extraordinary measures. These governing authorities are to forcefully use God's sword. Even the taking of another's life is condoned, so long as it is done in the carrying out of this office. This is what Paul means when he says, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. It's not only the high-profile courtroom dramas where murderers and mass murderers hear their fate. It's the little everyday things. The eight-sided sign reads, Stop. If you don't stop, don't complain about the police officer writing the ticket. The rectangular sign besides the highway may read 55, 60, or 70. However, if your speedometer reads faster than the sign, don't complain about the police officer writing the ticket. While you sit beside the road, angry or embarrassed, others blissfully drive past. They aren't worried about being the next person pulled over because they're not speeding. They came to a complete stop. They used their turn signal, didn't block the passing lane, or otherwise kept a law that you broke. They aren't afraid because rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad. And in these seemingly minor points, just as much as protecting us from thieves, murderers, or terrorists, each of your divinely instituted governing authorities is God's servant for your good. So as you receive your justly deserved ticket for coasting through the stop sign, maybe, either in fear of God or for the sake of conscience, you imagine if the intersection hadn't been empty, instead of van of little leaguers, a couple of young girls on bicycles, or an ambulance were there. The authority of your government wanted to make that intersection safe for these and all others. If we all did as we pleased, the chaos would be unimaginable. Either we would cower in our homes, slipping out only when necessary, or we would be out in oversized vehicles speeding past, cutting off, or crashing through others. God's servants, for your good, don't want this to happen any more than you do. Granted, there are times 
that government officials uh, make decisions that seem ludicrous, even sinful. Strange projects are funded with taxes you've paid. Wars against people who never bothered you drain tax coffers you filled. Laws authorize or allow behavior that we think or know is sinful. In portions of our nation, people can legally indulge in perverse sexual fantasies. They can gamble themselves into debt and poverty. By federal court decisions, they can even end the lives of unborn children in every state of the Union. Yet if the government does not compel us to sin, then one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Remember that Paul was looking at a pagan, idolatrous Roman government as his example of authority. Already some areas faced officially sanctioned persecution of Christians. However, Paul would appeal to this pagan government and its Caesar. He wouldn't attempt a jailbreak, even if unjustly held for more than a year. Finally, according to early church sources, he would bare his neck to the executioner's sword for the crimes of believing in Christ and spreading his gospel. Paul wasn't the only one. The martyrs' lists from the church's first few centuries show person after person who accepted arrest and conviction. They allowed sinful officials to exercise authority even when it meant death. They answered the summons to the stake, the cross, or the arena floor. Finally, among them all, Old Testament and New Testament martyrs alike, stood the one martyr supreme to whom they all pointed, Jesus Christ. To this Jesus, the Father gave all authority, yet according to his human nature as a subject of Rome and as an Israelite, Jesus submitted to the authorities. He bore witness of obedience. Martyr means witness to the Father and to the divinely ordered authority. Christ's perfect obedience, while an example for us, more importantly, brings forgiveness for our imperfect, unwilling submission. He was, char he was charged the synagogue tax in Capernaum, which he paid, albeit through the miraculous finding of the coin in the fish. He submitted to the whole law, moral, ceremonial, and civil, that he himself handed down on Sinai. He loved God with all his heart, with all his soul. He loved his neighbor as himself. He allowed the authorities to arrest him. He endured the trial of the Jewish council, even if it was held in violation of its own laws. He humbled himself before Pilate, yet also reminded Pilate that even Rome ruled only by divine permission. You would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Satan gave Jesus ample opportunity to rebel against the authorities. Imagine him whispering in Jesus' ear, You're in charge. You have the real authority. Show them who rules. 
And that's exactly what Jesus did. He showed all who have eyes to see and ears to hear that his father ruled. Jesus submitted perfectly to his father's will, obeying both direct divine command and the will of God exercised through human authority. In so doing, he who was tempted as we are, yet remained without sin, is, and is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He also paid for our weak, sinful disregard of authority. From all eternity, the Son pledged undying, unending allegiance to the Father. This unswerving loyalty, Jesus then displayed also as a man, honoring earthly authority and obeying its laws. This perfect citizen of heaven and earth now confers citizenship rights on us. In baptism, we have immigrated from the principality of Satan to the kingdom of Christ. As Christ taught his family and his followers, so he teaches us, the Father reigns supreme through his beloved Son. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Jesus. All creation, believing or not, living or inanimate, is subject to his rule in the kingdom of power. Yet because we are forgiven through the blood of his Son, God blesses us also with citizenship in the kingdom of grace. While the intimidation of divine law still terrifies us in our sin, the gospel lovingly draws us closer to our Savior. This forgiveness of sins leads Christians into willing submission to the rule and will of Christ because we know that his will is perfect and always for our good. He is the king who gave his life for his people. We also willingly are subject to the governing authorities because this is right and because we know that it is for our good. We can, in good conscience, pledge allegiance to our nation's flag and all that it represents because we are loyal to the one who rules all nations. As we circle back to our original consideration, God leads us to an interesting and perhaps uncomfortable comparison in a situation almost the reverse of the American Revolution. Jesus came to restore a divine monarchy. He came not only to crush the serpent's head, but also to crush the rebellion into which the devil led mankind. His goal was to bring rebels to surrender and drive them to flight. But look, the line has shortened. It's almost your turn. Or whether or not you sign this Declaration of Independence is suddenly not as easy a decision as you thought. Are you able to declare in good conscience that the proposed new governing authorities have a rule that's been instituted by God? Have you perhaps determined that the British government has already forfeited its divine right through neglect and that you're merely ratifying a previous decision? Or if you sign, might you be violating God's clear message, let every person be subject to the governing authorities? Finally, it comes to you. Weighing the word of God, carefully considering his commands and his promises, you make a decision not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. What is that decision? No one can tell you. You have been freed by Christ. 
to be a responsible citizen of his earthly and heavenly kingdoms. You know the best decision, and you know that he will empower you to live, even to die by it. For whatever government you have, no matter how free or oppressed you seem to be, you know that in Christ you are free indeed, free to live, free to love, free to serve God, neighbor, and government. If your choice is made not in spite or in willful disobedience to his word, then God will either honor it as a correct as correct or will forgive a sin done in unwilling ignorance. Christ's obedience both to the governing authorities and to his Father guarantees both. Both. You don't have to stand there, paralyzed, wondering whether to drop the pen or dip it into the inkwell. Our freedom of choice, coupled with obedience and responsibility to God, goes beyond anything even this great land can offer or guarantee. God's freedom doesn't remove government shackles. Rather, God's freedom allows absolute freedom to be a Christian under earthly government. For God is a God of order, not of chaos, and he continues imposing his rule on all creation. His rule will continue through government as well as church and scripture until Christ returns to unite all his patriots, we who love our true eternal fatherland, into his eternal kingdom of glory, while forever banishing the rebels to the fate that they brought on themselves. God grant you the wisdom to follow just rule and reject the sinful, the ability to pray for those in authority, and to thank him daily for the benefits of stable government and the desire to use freedom that you now have as a citizen of the United States and especially as a Christian, to live out your life in honor of Christ and in service to your neighbor. Likewise, the Lord give you courage to use this freedom to proclaim boldly Christ's rule over all and his forgiveness one for all. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to you with thanks that all we have and enjoy is a gift from your gracious hand. We come before you today in heartfelt appreciation for our nation and its people. We thank you for enabling us to worship you in freedom and to serve you without fear. You have enriched us with the bounties of farm and factory, the beauty of forest and mountain, and the marvels of medicine and science. For all these blessings, we praise and glorify you. Look with favor upon our nation and preserve our cherished liberties. Enable our leaders to govern with wisdom, honesty, courage, and justice. Protect those who serve in the armed forces and those who maintain peace and safety in our communities. Give us willingness to obey our nation's laws and to work for the common good. Keep our financial institutions secure and our economy strong. Bless our fields that they may produce abundant harvests. Guard us from calamities of nature and accident and spare our land from the ravages of disease and epidemic. Teach us not to worry, but to cast all our cares on you. Strengthen the homes of our nation. By your spirit, lead husbands and wives to love each other, parents to nurture their children, young adults to assume responsibility, and children to show respect. 
To you, O Lord, we bring our thanks and our requests. Hear our prayers for Jesus' sake, who taught us to come to you, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.